0: Hey everybody, thanks for hanging out with me for just a couple of minutes. Here, our focus is being better and healthier than yesterday. Are you better? Are you healthier than you were yesterday? Here, we don't compare ourselves to him or to her, we compare ourselves to who we were yesterday. Self-improvement has no end, health has no finish line. They are lifelong journeys where we take it one day at a time and here, we do it together. So let's do this. Before I get into the main content, if you want to get in contact with me, email and Instagram are the best ways to get in contact. Email me at benpagedc at gmail.com and on Instagram, BenpageDC. And if you're listening to this, go to Instagram, tag me on the episode, and I'll tag you right back and we get to know each other. I love to get to know the community and I would love to get to know you. So let's get on to well, welcome back to another great episode of the Wellness Farmer Podcast. I'm bringing back a guest that we had about a month ago. The reason I'm bringing him back is because we started at one point of the body, I and mean, that's all we got to. I mean, and the body is holistic. We have to talk about everything. We just can't talk about one spot because everything connects to everything. And I, like, and one of the things I love that he talked about last time is, I mean, also, even the fascia of the foot can cause because all the way up into the fascia of the, of the head to be pulled. I mean, so we're all interconnected. So that's why we're going to talk about a different part of the body today. But again, we're bringing back JC. I'm um, gr- glad to have you back. There might be some new listeners. I hope there are. So I, mean, I want to give just a brief introduction real quick, and then we'll jump into the conversation.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, so my name is JC, I'm essentially a mobility specialist. Um, I also teach Pilates, pre and postnatal Pilates, and I also teach nutrition. Um, And over the years what I've tried to develop is an understanding of the body as to why we have these common problems and so we're going to talk about one today which is lower back specific. um, But ultimately I tend to find that uh, we've all got these common problems, and when we then take the unique individual approach to each individual. And look at the common problem. So, for instance, we sit too much is the common problem. But then, what is the individual kind of byproduct of sitting too much for you or, or I? Um, and then I've just started to work through joint-specific work as well as fascia-related work. Fascia being the connected tissue that wraps the body. And exactly as you said, I've worked with clients who I've released and helped them uh, move uh, improve, sorry, their uh, foot mobility and the fascia at the bottom of the foot that's reduced the amount of headaches that they get. So once I started getting into that and started to kind of really enjoy myself. And um, yeah, so I'm 10 years in the industry now
0: and um, and enjoying every moment of it. Oh Yeah. And just a month ago, I, I still remember what you said. And I, and, and I actually use it with some of my patients. Well, the majority of them, I bring it up, like the importance of fascia and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's great stuff, but now we're going to be talking like, a, yeah, so lower back and hip region. So we're going to talk about how we can, how we can keep our hips. Uh, well, a joints in the hip too, uh, to yeah. be in its proper, it's proper position and moving as it should properly. And it's funny that we were we we're going to talk about this today because I started uh, something I've been wanting to start a while. I mean, over a year and a half ago, I've been looking, I've been looking, I've been asking. And while I was treating a patient, he's like, yeah, I go to jujitsu. I was like, no way. I mean, I've been looking for I've been looking for a place to go for like the last year and a half. It's like, yeah, come and join us. We're about all the same age. We all have fun. I mean, we learn and everything. I was like, no way, this is awesome. So I started going, and it's been about a month that I've been going. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I mean, it's funny. I'm enjoying getting beat up because I lose every time. I mean <laughs> they, they they're always making me tap out. I mean, there's one guy, he's he he's he's one of the black belts. He was actually the he was actually the, the guy that taught the guy that's teaching me. And I think it must've been like in, in, in the, in the fight that we had, that's about five minutes long. He must've got me like eight times easily. I mean, it's like, no way that is so you're so freaking awesome. <laughs> I, I wish I could do what you do, but, but I been I've been working around. And I've been trying to loosen up all that. I've, I've realized that my, my right hip. So the hip joint is, Lots different than my, my, uh, my, my left one. And it brings back something. Cause I remember the first time I went on an elk hunt and, and we went, I remember I was with my dad and we walked at least 10 miles in, uh, into this area because this guy told us, yeah, park here and walk in you'll find them. So we, we pretty much knew we were going to find. So we went in there 10, 10 miles, sorry, five miles, 10 kilometers. And, and we, yeah, we found one. So we found one, we hunted, we, we got it, we skinned it. And then we had to put all that meat on our back and hike out. <laughs> so it wasn't just our backpacks. Now it was the backpack on the front and all the meat on the back. And I remember I couldn't even st- I couldn't stand up. So what he, what we had to do is he had to help me get up. I couldn't, there's so much weight on my back. He had to help me get up. And once I was up, I could walk, I could hold the weight and we walked. And I, but I remember after doing all that, I remember for the next three weeks, that same hip that I'm feeling right now was like, It was it felt funky, but I'm pretty sure it was before that too. There must have been something I did in my life and I'm trying to remember what did I do to cause that that left hip is is less mo is less mobile than than my right hip, so I've been working on it, and I'm excited about this talk because this is exactly what we're going to be talking about. And I'm noticing that my my right is is a little less mobile than my left hip. So so that's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's get into it. How can what's the what are some great ways to bring back that mobility in our hip joints?
1: Yeah. So. So lower back issues usually related to either a foot problem or a hip problem, right? And unfortunately, lower back problem, and you you would know this with your patients, lower back problem is probably one of the most common um, kind of complaints that we tend to find. And I know that, um, I don't know what the current data is, obviously, with all of the the stuff that's going on for working from home, but I know that in 2017, 2018, uh, lower back problems were one of the biggest contributing factors to sick days. So a lot of people essentially were having lower back issues and then not being able to work. Um, And again, it's kind of silly, right? You know, you're sitting down and you're not, you know, which is kind of, you know, the least manual job that we can have. And yet people are still unable to do it because they have such a sore back. Um, And so when it comes to hip issues, what I tend to like to do is obviously get someone on the table and assess them. So what is the visual, what is the visual aspect that's happening? So what am I seeing? So I tend to have them jump on the bed and then I'll maybe place both thumbs on their hip bones and then try and get a, a visual cue. So, you know, are they lined up? Usually what I tend to find is that there's a little bit of a mismatch. And my kind of understanding over the years is that if I see them touch, as long as the thumbs are touching, that's okay, that's not a bad thing. But it's when we start to see gaps between it. So if one side is excessively hyped up higher than the other, that's when it's usually a, um, usually a big problem and um, usually the cause. Um, if it's just touching and maybe one slightly below the other, um, that's not usually much of a reason because, again, we do know that we have a dominant side. We do know that we stand in one side. We sit in one side more so than we do the other. So that's where that kind of is kind of an acute difference versus a chronic difference. Acute being when they're touching and chronic, from, in my opinion, in my opinion, is when there's a big gap between them because, again, they never really come back in, at level. Um, And so what we tend to find with most people is that it's usually down to as exactly, as you said, something in their history, right? And so um, one of the things I hope to do with my clients is bring a sense of intuition about their own body. So like what's going on, what are they trying to achieve? And when we start working on an area, other things creep up just like you've done with jujitsu, you go and you're like, Oh, my right side is much different to my left. And it's those discrepancies that we really want to build upon, but it's those discrepancies that we want to learn from as well, because ultimately when we're not doing much, when we're not challenging our body, those discrepancies really come, come to light because, you know, we're just kind of we're kind of just going about our day. But it's not until we either have pain or until we're trying to do something like you are with performance that we really start to see that these discrepancies creep up. And that's usually then where problems start to arise. So, for instance, with yourself, that right side, the left side, you're going to naturally favor your left side more because you know that you're unable to do as much with your right that's not only gonna affect the way in which you move, but it's also gonna affect the way in which you perform. So again, if you're grappling, if you're constantly trying to manipulate into your left-hand side, well, your opponent can just keep pinning you down on your right side, knowing that you can't move that well. And eventually when you get someone who's you know a black belt, they're gonna be efficient enough to pick that up very quickly. And it's the same with when I speak with a lot of my professional athletes and I try to help them understand other individuals' movements when they're like playing against somebody playing with, uh, currently working with a soccer player and i try to explain to him hey when you're playing against someone watch how they move because that will that will indicate to you which which side they're going to try and navigate to much more quickly so he plays on the wing and so if they're trying to take you on the outside you'll see that they're unable to turn back on the inside and once you get that you've got to then drive them into their weak point so don't let them go to their strengths don't let them go to their strengths Cut them off, and that's the same as what I see with individuals. And so, going back to the assessment, it's kind of all of this is going through my brain, right? I've got them on the bed. I'm I'm leveling up the hips, and I'm asking them questions like, "What did you do? What sports did you play as a kid? Do you have any injuries? Do you have any surgeries? Anything happen in your life, you know?" And again, and this might maybe a bit more relevant to you. When you were born, sometimes they um, doctors grab the leg. Um, Unfortunately, um, you know, if, if the baby ends up coming out the wrong way or if it's a C-section of some degree, um, because, the, you know, the main purpose for this, right? Uh, sorry, the main purpose of a birth is for the baby to come out healthy. And so a lot of the time they end up and um, if, again, it's a C-section or whatever else, we tend to find that there could be a shoulder or a hip problem. Um, And the reason being is that the doctor will usually grab the shoulder or grab the arm to to pull the baby out, which obviously can 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 dislodge the shoulder a little bit. Or when they are pulling it out, the leg may be stuck inside and therefore there's that pulling. So from the moment you're born, there's a there's an opportunity for things to go kind of array when it comes to physical needs. And then we've got other things, right? Things that you may not think about, like, what are the history things Like you know, for instance, did you have any issues as a kid? Did you have any you know, mobility issues? As in, you know, did you not get to your feet that much? You know, were you late to walking? When you started walking, did you go from crawling to walking or did you go from sitting to standing to running? Because all of these developmental, they're all patterns, right, and so sometimes we lose that. So you can start to see how there's obviously a lot more to the story. Now, for me, what, it come, what I come to find in this day and age is that there's always some form of issue, exactly as you put, hey, I just always had this right-hand hip problem. I don't know what it was, but I always remember it being there. And then it exacerbates itself over the years. Then we have things like the position in which we sleep. We have the position in which we stand. So again, I'm currently standing now on this. I'm trying to distribute my weight evenly, but I can feel that my uh, left foot, Foot is feeling more of the pressure, which would indicate that I'm naturally leaning into my left hand side more. And it's all of these things that, obviously, you know, times that by how, however old you are, and however, and however long it's been since you started those problems, you can quickly start to see how lower back, uh, how lower back or slash hip problems start to creep in.
0: Oh yeah, and the the history is, it's 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 always mm, almost we could say. Uh, mm-hmm many many years in the making yeah and a lot of it can actually yeah. even be that birth i remember talking to telling patients yeah a lot of these cesarean c-sections yeah the c-sections they can cause and you have this malalignment since birth and and you're living with yeah. it you don't even really notice it i was actually i was a c-section but yeah i, I i'll have to ask my mom i'm going to ask my mom yeah. how it went i'm pretty sure it went fine but you never know but yeah i'm yeah. i'm one of those c-section babies and uh and, and that's one thing I've, that's funny. Cause I've been talking to patients about this so long. It's funny how we need to talk to other people to finally bring this up. I was like, Oh my gosh, that's part of my history too. Cause I always talk to yeah. them. I always tell my patients too. It's like, so how were you, was it a normal, Was it a normal birth or was it a C-section? And that's a question I usually ask my patients, but I've never really brought it up for myself. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So yeah. And the history yeah, is, is important as, cause we know it's, it's, it's many years in the making. It's it, most things yeah. are many years in the making. So what are what are some of, what are some of the exercises that or what are some of the muscles you work or what are some of the exercises that you use to, to actually improve where we can have that 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 weight balance so we can have that equilibrium and weight on both sides how do, how do, how do you kind of help your patients
1: yeah, so one of the things, and again, I think this is what's made me successful over the years is, is that history, right? is essentially trying to figure out what are the gonna be the common practices that they've put in place over their lifetime that's led to this day-to-day, the day that they're there in front of me, right? The problem which they currently have. And I'll just give you a, pr- a brief example of one of the situations, I had a client who was a very successful horse rider when she was younger. And so instantly my brain's telling me that the inside of her thighs are gonna be extremely strong because she grips the horse, right? We also know that she's naturally going to have a lot of compression through the spine because, again, when you ride a horse, you tend to have an up-and-down motion, and, there's a, and there is a bit of jolting, right? We also know that, again, from a posturally perfect position, she's really good because she did a lot of, um, uh, what was it called again, um, you know, the kind of the shows. So, again, the, the person's in perfect posture. And so all of these things led me then to realize that the inner thighs were excessively tight essentially pulling all of the fascia, but pulling the, the weight of the joints inwards. And obviously then when she gets off the horse, she gets that kind of bow-legged type effect because everything's pulling inward and because of her exercises or always on the horse, um, when she gets off and that caused a lot of issues and that caused an internal rotation of the hip, um, for her, because again, she had so much pressure pulling inwards that, When she it was fine when she was on the horse because her hips were in the right position, because they were kind of over the horse. But then when she didn't have the horse between her legs, she instantly started to find she couldn't control that. And that led to a lot of issues. And this goes back to our last conversation then. So the feet, right? So again, when I'm looking at clients, I have them walk. So once I've done my assessment on the bed, I have them walk around because I want to see how the hips are moving. I want to see how the feet are moving. And again, we talked about this last time, but the feet are connected to the hips, so it's all connected. Um, and so we wanna look at that. So h- how are they heel striking? How are they pushing off the toe? Uh, how are their, are their ankles caving in and their knees caving in? And all of these things lead us then to that kind of treatment. And there are three common causes for a hip imbalance. The first is what we call an imbalance, which is obviously one hip higher than the other, as I talked about at the start of this video. Um, we also then have a rotated pelvis, so again, that usually presents itself um, with a lot of individuals that tend to have a lot of pulling forward on one side. And again, you can ind- you can assess this pretty quickly when you have them lie on the bed, um, you just, well, if you wanna talk about the imbalance. So again, I put my thumbs on the, on the hip bones. I bring my thumbs together to meet in the middle and that tells me if one hip's higher than the other. If I'm looking at a rotated pelvis, once I have them lie down on the bed, all I've gotta do is stand to one side, squat down a little bit and have a look at their hips. And we usually what you'll see is one side raised higher than the other. And that would indicate that that side is essentially rotated forward. Now, it's not a guarantee that that's the side rotated forward because the other side could be rotated back, but more than likely it's one side rotated forward. And then the other issue that we have then is obviously just a lack of mobility, just in general, right? And again, unfortunately, sitting and bad postural positions cause these. So we know that the way in which the femur, the leg bone sits into the um, sits into the socket isn't correct with most people because our feet are turned out and therefore the ball and sockets are slightly turned out all the time. We know that we dump our weight into our pelvis. So we tend to have a kind of a sticky out bum for most people. Um, so, again, that tilts the pelvis in the incorrect position. And we also know that the, 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 the position of the spine and the rib cage specifically also tends to be pretty inaccurate for most people. Again, when we sit down all the time, we kind of cave in. So, we round. And the problem being here is that we tack down. So, that the rib cage becomes closer to the pelvis, right? When we sat down, when I stand up, the problem is there is that in order to then achieve an upright position, most people then will compromise the spine. In order to achieve an, up, an upright position. So, those are the three things that I generally tend to find and t- tend to look at when it comes to clients. And that I think, as to be honest with you, I find that most people have two, if not all of them, all of these issues, just in different varying degrees. And I usually just tend to start with the one that's easiest for them or the one that I believe is causing the biggest problem. That's usually the one that's for me visually or, or, or physically by putting hands on them gives me the representation that, okay, this, this is actually quite excessive. As I said, if I've got a bigger gap when it comes to a hip imbalance, or if I've got a really tilted pelvis, where literally one side is really lifted up off the bed, or if I watch them walk and I tend to find that they're unable to control their rib cage or their spine. um, And then I go
0: from there. So what would be, what's like a, like a stretch or an exercise for like the rotated pelvis? What would like, what would be, what would what would be your like your first your first step what kind of what would is, is usually stretching or is it usually mobility or what, what's where, where you usually go from there
1: yeah so I'll start with I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how I would address all three of them but we'll start with the twisted pelvis so the twisted pelvis is two things the first thing is that we need I, I leave them on the bed for about five minutes and I ask them just to breathe and the reason being is I want to see if their hip resets itself so when we're in a neutral position um there are two things that we tend to know is that again um Most people find it much easier to relax when we're in a standing position, we're working against gravity, right? So that's when the the kind of twisting and everything else tends to fall into place or the compression. Um, But it may just be something that they're doing. It may be the way in which they're sitting into one hip. So again, if this goes out on video and anybody's watching this live, if I keep myself straight here and then I twist my pelvis, you can see that i twisted there. And so all I'm doing is I'm sitting into my right hip more. And again, for some people, they tend to just lean, which is is where that hip imbalance comes in, but some people do tend to then sit and rotate. Um, We also know that leg length discrepancy also can cause a a few of these issues. But very simply, is that we know that we need to just give it a few minutes to let it reset. And the reason I do this is because I want to see if it's something that is acute. So is it something that they've been doing every day today, or is it something they've been doing today, sorry, that's caused this issue. Or is it something that's chronic? And therefore, when I have them sit there, I lie there for five minutes, the hip doesn't actually drop back into neutral, if you like. And that then, again, both are still the same, but it just tells me if it's something that can be fixed pretty quickly or something that probably is gonna take a little bit of time. Once I'm, so they lay laid down flat in this position, okay? What I'll tend to then have a look at while I'm talking to them and everything else is the position of the rib cage. So again, what we've tend to find is that they're pretty flared through the rib cage, flared being essentially sticking out their rib cage. And we also know that there's gonna be an excessive amount of space in the lower back. All of these things we don't want. We don't, we want a little bit of space in the lower back between my hand, uh, their back and the bed. And we also wanna make sure that the rib cage isn't too flayed. Um, And again, so you start to look at that. And again, when when they're laying down, there's no pressure on them so they can really relax into that. Once they've done that, what we tend to find then is that the side that's rotated forward tends to have a pretty weak glute pretty weak butt cheek muscle. And the reason being is that they're excessively using the side that's rotated back. So I'll tend to then try to get activation into that weak side uh, off the bat. And then we'll try and look at a lot of the muscles and what I try to teach them then is how to stand straight. And the problem is is that when I teach them how to stand straight, i.e. twisting or retwisting the pelvis or neutralizing or uh, um, leveling off the pelvis, they instantly feel like they're twisted. So it's kind of then a sense of just a game of allowing the proprioceptive system to come back to normal, to recalibrate if you like. And so a lot of those exercises are pretty simple. We would either get them in a standing position to begin with, and that, so for instance, let's give it a, a visual, but also an audio uh, representation of this. Let's say for instance, my left hip is twisted forward. Okay, that would indicate to me that my right butt cheek and my right leg is very active. That would indicate to me that my left side is less active. So for instance, what I would do with them to begin with is I would activate that left butt cheek as much as I could. So single that out just for maybe not to fatigue, but just to activate it. Then I'd have them stand up. I'd probably have them stand against the wall just like behind me. I'd have them make sure both butt cheeks are touching the wall, both legs are straight, both shoulder blades are touching the wall and the head is touching the wall. I give them points on the wall that allows them then to straighten out because the wall is straight, right? So they can use that as visual representation. And again, if my left side is rotated forward, I'm instantly going to feel and have the, 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 have the feeling that I'm twisted most to my right. When actually you're not, you're now leveled off because we've essentially over-exaggerated in the opposite direction in order to find some sort of neutral position. And I'll have them stand in that position for quite a while and I'll ask them then to talk me through what they're feeling. So then they start to find, oh, my, 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 my right groin is, is kicking in, or my, my left butt cheek feels really weird, or my, I'm feeling the pressure in my knee. And that gives them this kind of intuition as to what's going on in the body. And as I said, it's not until it either becomes painful or it becomes a performance issue that we really start to realize these positions. So they could have had a twisted pelvis for quite a while, but because it wasn't causing any issues, there was never really any understanding for it. Um, but it's not until now we look at this lower back issue or usually that's why they come to me is they've got a lower back issue. Um, and that's when these problems start to arise. And so I just use that for a while. And then I use them on the floor. i have them lying on their back, their knees bent and the same thing. I ask them, hey, I want to make sure both butt cheeks are touching the floor. I want you to make sure both shoulder blades are touching the floor and I want you to work on your breathing mechanics for me. And what it does is it just neutralizes all of that tension but it gives them a bit of proprioceptive skills and then I ask them I ask them to do that multiple times per day over a couple of weeks as we then work on them. And then in terms of working on them I'll try and check which essentially where they're carrying a lot of tension. And so again they usually got a lot of thigh issues there's obviously a lot of right hand glute issues so if, if we sit, stick them with the same example where my left hip is twisted forward so for instance, I'd work then on the right butt cheek to make sure that we're releasing the tension in that side, probably look at the right thigh, and I'd also look at the shoulder blades because we'd know that they'd be carrying quite a lot of tension through the mid spine, because again of that rotated ability, and we know this, right, and from the last time we spoke, if my hips are rotated, so again, I, I get, for those listening, um, I'll, I'll give you the audio cues, but for those of you watching, if I twist my pelvis right, my sternum now is facing off towards the right-hand side. My left hip is, is, is rotated forward. Well, I know, and I can see this in the camera, but also if I was talking to you in person, Ben, I would know that I'm twisted, right? So what am I gonna do? I'm gonna try and then recalibrate. So my hips are gonna stay the same. And I rotate from my spine. So my spine becomes compromised and that's where the problems arise. So I'm generally trying to teach people how to, how to manage this. Um, And then on top of that, usually I tend them to cut cut out their exercising for a little while and just go for walks and things like that, because I want to make sure they're not loading those bad positions anymore. um, And we want to try and neutralize that. So you can quickly start to see how these things kick in. Let's move on to a hip imbalance. So again, this is usually where there's not so much rotating, but one hip is higher than the other. Um, And there are multiple things that I tend to do here. The first thing is I tend to take care of the fascial system. And again, I I use a a recovery gun, a massage gun. Um, So it's my theory that when we put vibration into the fascial system for around about two to three minutes, we tend to get a change. And so for those that were listening last time, there are multiple fascial systems, right? But there are three that most specifically really I tend to focus on. The superficial fascia, which is just below the skin, so if I were to grab my forearm, as I'm doing now, and move that around, yes, I'm moving the skin, but that would be moving the superficial fascia of this arm line, okay? Then we have the myofascia, which is the fascia wrapped around the muscle, which is what most people are more familiar with. That's where the foam rolling probably first came into things. And then we have the deep-lying fascia. Now the deep-lying fascia is connected to the pelvic floor. So again, those are three that interest me, especially as a mobility specialist, but also as a Pilates instructor. So what I would do then is I use the use the, vibrate, the vibration gun, use the massage gun on their right glute, on their right leg. And that brings an interoceptive um, ability, right? So again, we got proprioceptive, my ability to understand my, my time, my, my, um, myself in space and time. And then that inner feeling, that tingliness, warmth, all of those feelings inside. I bring sensation back. I essentially decrease the tension in that one side. Um, and again, working through that. So there are two muscles that I tend to work on, not with the gun specifically, um, but again, this is with more of a ball. And we talked about this, I think, last time, is the the psoas and the QLs. So they're two muscles that attach the rib cage to the hips. They are um, just uh, on the front here is the psoas, um, and that starts with a P for anybody Googling this. Um, um, And then you have the QLs on the back. And they're essentially like the quadriceps, the thighs and the hamstrings of the upper body and so unfortunately for most people because we're posturally poor most of the time we're rounded the the psoas on the front become shortened and the qls on the back become lengthened because you know that's the that's the position they're most likely to be in and the problem is is that when we then uh, have that and we and we combine that with then a sitting into one hip or if we uh, for instance if you are a side sleeper if you're lying on your left hand hip and then your right hip comes over you start to get these imbalances. And again, we have a dominant side where you sit on the sofa, right? Everybody has his favorite spot on the sofa and they sit into one hip. So these are the issues that usually tend to creep up. I'm Currently going back to that soccer player that I was talking about, the one I'm currently working with, um, you know, he's, he stands on one leg to kick, right? He's left footed. So he's always standing on his right because he uses his left leg more. So those hip discrepancies start to creep in pretty quickly from our day-to-day life. So with those, what I would do with an individual is, again, take the tension out of the glutes, take the tension out of the thighs, work on the feet, because we wanna make sure that they're having an equal distribution of weight in the feet. But then I'd get a ball. So think like a Pilates ball, for anybody that knows those, they're kind of soft, they're kind of like a deflated ball, if you like. And I have them lie on their front. So they're roughly about maybe four or five inches to the outside of the belly button, on the right side or the left side. Um, and I just have them place a ball there and lie down on it for two to five minutes. And what that tends to do is essentially then release that that psoas, release the tension in the psoas which is excessively tight. They can also do it on the back because even though it's lengthened, it's still going to be tight. And then what I try to get them to do once once we've alleviated this tension is then have them work on their breathing mechanics again and work on things like core and stabilization exercises. The perfect example is a plank, a side plank and a glute bridge. You're kind of boxing in the core from all angles, if you like. And that then allows the men to not only release the overused muscles, but it also allows them then to build integrity and stability into the, in, into the core muscles, which hopefully allows the, uh, the, the muscles to do their job. And the, their job is to neutral, level up the pelvis, but it's also to keep the pelvis and rib cage attached. And again, I'd work on then some postural issues. So if you've got someone who's very posturally poor, then again, having them and teaching them how to stand upright more will then take the over-reliance on the psoas on the front and then start to give a little bit more back into the the back muscles, the QLs, which hopefully over time allows them to stand a little bit more upright. Mm -hmm. And then going on the last option then, or the last point, it was usually just a lack of mobility. And there's three areas that I see lack of mobility is the spine itself. So we actually have a, um, for anybody who's not watching, I'm just doing some rotation, but we generally have a lack of rotation in the spine because nothing in life, requires rotation anymore. Um, I don't know what you're currently um, sat on, but if, but if you even like work chairs now have a swiveling built into them, so you don't even have to turn anymore. Um, so everything we do is actually pretty front dominant. So our spine is only really getting one range of motion and that's forward. It's really getting extension and it's really getting any rotation or side to side movement. So I try to rebuild that into my client that's got any hip issues or any uh, any lower back issues, because I know that that's just common in life, right? Then we look at the hip itself. So again, anteriorly versus posteriorly. So where's the pelvic tilted? Are you tilted forward, therefore creating a bit of an arch in your lower back and sticking your bum out? Or are you very uncommonly, but some people are, are you someone who has a front tilt, uh, a a backwards tilted pelvis, and therefore, you know, kind of having this kind of tucked under position. And unfortunately for them, when they have that, they tend to then really have a sloping effect and they tend to sit backwards. Um, So I'll then try to work on their pelvic tilts. And then lastly, um, I tend to look at the actual femurs. So again, the, the hip joint itself, and that's things like external and internal rotation. So the ability to turn the leg out or the ability to turn the leg in. Um, most people tend to lack um, both to a certain degree, but you'll always find, and, and you'll find this when you do when you do an exercise that tries to improve your internal or external rotation. You'll always have one side where you're like, "Oh my god, that was so much harder on one side," and that's tend to be the side that we tend to find is 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 weaker. Um, and you can quickly start to pick up on what how much how much they lack based on where they naturally put their feet. So for most people, what we tend to find is that because we have an outward turning foot, because again, that's, and again, if you watch anybody now and you're walking around, people will naturally have a slightly outward turning foot, which means that the femur is slightly outward turning anyway. So most people are kind of artificially externally rotated, which means that A, they lack internal rotation because they're they're always living in external rotation, but they're always go- they're, but they're also going to lack a lot of strength in externally rotated position because they're always relaxed in a in an externally rotated position, and so all of these things and again, um, you know, uh, these are all the things that go through my mind. Um, but again, it's quite simple when you when you get when you get down to it because most of the time for most individuals, it's removing what's causing these issues, um, and then obviously then putting in a bit of work for maybe two to four weeks intensely to make the change. And then after that, we move into a maintenance phase. So for instance, when I work with my clients, I ask them to dedicate as much time as they can to me in the first six weeks. And the reason being is that I wanna get the change. I wanna elicit as much change as I possibly can. And then we move on to a maintenance phase. And the reason being is that there's one thing I can't rush on, that's time. So again, I'm 32 years of age. If I've got an issue that I've had for maybe 10 years or 18 years, I can't change that in six weeks but I can make a very big difference and I can decrease the pain that's associated with this problem. And then over time you put the work in by yourself and we put the work in what you'll start to find in maybe over six months or a year, you've not only got no pain, but you've also then gotten rid of that dysfunction, which is inevitably going to bring the pain back if you don't do anything to do with it. So, so hopefully that gives you a kind of an understanding of what, what I tend to see and how, how people can address it.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, there is, so there's actually some pretty good exercises for strengthening. The one thing is, what's the, the, what was the glute bridge? I wonder if, what, what, how, what is that? Because I probably know what it is. I, I just don't recall that's that fine. name. Um, so that's,
1: so it's lying on your back, knees bent, and then just raising your bum off the
0: floor. Claro. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So that, and, and, but everything in the, the bridges, yeah, that we are, so those are really good exercises. Yeah. And then a lot Part of the, hip thrusts, i think say hip thrust is another yeah, word that some people go. use. Yeah. That's what I know it as is a hip thrust. That's why I see <clears throat> And not only that, but then those hips, it's really a lot has to do with internal rotation. Yeah. A lot of it, a lot of it. So working. So well, what's a good exercise for internal rotation of the hip?
1: So if you go again, you can, you can Google this. If you type in a 1990 stretch, or a 90 strength exercise or a 90 hip mobility, just put 90 followed by any of the words that you can associate with a with hip. hip. Um, there'll, there'll be a lot of exercises that will come up. And so essentially what we tend to find, a 90 is essentially, well, you're on the floor and one leg is in front of you very much like a pigeon pose for anybody that's done yoga but the other leg is bent instead of being stretched and the idea is that the front leg is in one position and the back leg is in the other so you're, you're consistently and you're simultaneously working on internal and external rotation and then within that there are all different things that you can do you can try and lift the ankle which ink, which ink, uh, which builds up the uh, which builds up, uh, momentum in the glute, which builds your external rotation, or you can try and drive the front knee down into the floor, which builds in internal rotation. That is probably a little bit more difficult to just, 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 just to describe. So, again, I would recommend anybody Googling 1990 hip mobility. And I promise there's going to be a million and one videos that you can <laughs> follow that will give you an understanding. And then within that, and again, it's just them kind of making note of where the discrepancies are left to right. Internal versus external. Now there are some people that have internal that are internally rotated, and again talking about feet, uh, a lot of people that g- generally tend to have um, flat feet tend to have caving of the ankles. The ankles also come in, the knees also come in, and that means then that the femurs. What I find so if this if this is the femurs with most people when, when the feet are turned out the femurs are turned out when the when the feet are collapsing in what we tend to find is that they also the femurs tend to collapse in. So these individuals are living more internally rotated um, in general, and they, they then tend to have an over excess of internal rotation. And then with those individuals, you would work excessively on externally rotating the legs to bring them back to neutral. And I want people to understand that I work on the concept of over exaggeration. So if I have a client who is, is essentially their problem is because everything they do is in one direction, I want to over-exaggerate as much as I possibly can in the short term in the opposite direction while trying to have them minimize what they're currently doing that's causing the issue in order to end up somewhere neutral. So again, try to explain to people, you know, if you keep going left when you're driving, you're going to go in a circle, right? And so if someone's constantly spending all of their life going left, 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 what i want to get them to do is go right 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 as often as possible and then hopefully they stop going in circles and they then end up then taking taking the occasional left and the occasional right but actually going moving forward so again that's the kind of technique that i use because i found that it works over the years and again i think most people when it comes to pain specifically most people are highly motivated to make a change So it's very simple to get them to buy into that. And so again, let's say for instance, let's talk about, I'll give an example here. Let's talk about the hip imbalance, okay? So you have one hip higher than the other. If you think this may be you, stand up, go to the mirror, put both thumbs on your hip bones, which is a kind of bony part of the front of the hip, bring your thumbs together to meet in the middle, do that two to three times, and then have a look at where your thumb's at. And what you'll find is that, you know, one's always gonna be slightly higher than than the other. Now, again, if you've got lower back issues, this is going to be an exacerbating issue. If you've got a big gap between your thumbs and you've got lower back pain, there's a very good chance that this is the issue. As I said, I tend to look at what's the most extreme thing happening, and I start with that. Now, what I want you to look at is how do you sleep? So, again, let's say for instance, let's say for instance, my right side is higher than my left, okay? Now, again, this is true to myself because I sleep on my left hand side, which means my right hip falls forward. So I've got all this compression in my left hip and my right hip is essentially not. I also tend to favorably sit in my left hip because I want to lean, because I want to keep my right hand free. I also tend to stand in my left hip more because, again, when I've got my daughter um, and she's only 13 months old, um, I've got her on my left arm because I want to keep my right arm free because I'm right handed. And then when I'm standing, I'll sit in my left hip because it's more comfortable to put her on my hip this side. So, you can start to see how all of these smaller things that we do every single day add up. And then, what I would suggest then is in not only trying to minimize those things. So, first of all, sleep on the opposite side to try and counterbalance that. You know, try and carry my daughter on my right hand more. Um, making sure that I'm standing more equally and then doing the exercises that I spoke about, right? Trying to release the muscles on the front, Uh, the the, four or five inches just to the side of the the belly button, placing a ball there and lying on it for uh, two to five minutes. Um, working on bracing the core. So side plank, planks, glue bridges, trying to essentially then stabilize the core. Um, And it doesn't take that long, but it just takes a bit of consistency because again, we live from day to day. We live every single day, we move every single day. So I I usually give a prescription of two to three times a day in the first two to four, four weeks. And then after that, then we tend to then maybe move to just once a day. And then after that, then we maybe move to maybe three times a week where it's a part of their workout more specifically. Um, and we tend to then yeah, kind of creep that in to more of a lifestyle as opposed to more of an exercise. But yeah, it, most most people, it's the fact that we need to address a lot of the issues. Um, and when it comes to hip issues, it's pretty simple. Most of the problems usually down to, um, sorry, my wife is just... um. Mark has just started the blender. It's, it's breakfast time here in the house. Um, and, it, and it all quickly starts to add up. But again, if anyone is suffering with hip issues, those are the three things that I would either have a look at yourself um, and you can have someone else assess you, or when you go to a health practitioner, um, say to them, Hey, I really love for you to check these because again, you know, these individuals are going to have the eyes for it. This isn't specific to myself. This is how I address it. This is the the, the path in which I take, but, you know, these aren't, um, I'm, not, I'm not keeping any secrets here. These are, these are things that health professionals will be able to, like physios, osteos, they'll all be able to identify. But you can do it yourself. You know, if you think you have a twisted pelvis, lie down flat on the floor and ask somebody to come down and, and squat down next to you and level off your hips and have a look if one hip is higher than the other. Is one literally higher? And, it, and, it, and it is, it's higher. Um, and again, if you've got a hip imbalance, go to the mirror use your thumbs. If you know that you lack a lot of mobility, well, take a video of yourself walking around for three to five minutes. And I say three to five minutes because initially people perform when they walk. <laughs> so they want to walk properly. And once the then once the then start to sink into it and, and relax into it. And then watch yourself. Are your feet turned out? Are you sitting into one hip? Are your hips moving too much? And again, you know, the catwalk that we tend to find, right? Where models, they tend to really sway their bums because they want to show off the clothing. They want to show off the hips. Well, that's a really bad bit of movement because that means that they're not actually they're not actually walking correctly if you're sitting into one hip every time you move you're actually just creating a, a shearing effect that is excessive when actually what we should have is more of a gliding effect of the hips instead of a side instead of an up and down movement we should have a back-to-forth movement I'm not saying you shouldn't have some up and down but it shouldn't be as excessive as we've seen in, in models over the years if you're an individual or you're working with an individual that's overweight, um, and especially um, women specifically, that carry most of their weight around their midriff, um, you'll start to find that they laterally shift in order to move forward. So they will step out to the side. So they kind of go out to the side and slightly forward and then out to the side and slightly forward. And that's how they move forward. But actually what they should be doing is stepping forward and they don't. So that would be, be a real big indicator that there's, it's very hip dominant for them. Because what they're doing is they're laterally shifting their weight into one leg, and then they're pushing off that leg into the other, then they're pushing off that leg. And the reason being is that obviously they don't have as much space in the midriff to move through it. And that's kind of another aspect of what we tend to find or what I tend to find when people are walking or when I'm I'm assessing them during their walking, is what are the hips doing? Is there an over-excessive movement? Does 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 it look silly? Or does it look like they're trying to show off? in their hips, like trying to show that you know their the, the butt, the butts off a little bit. And that's usually a bad thing.
0: Well, that's a ton of information. So I, I I mean, if you want to get to know, if you actually want to get an assessment, I would definitely get in contact with JC. But yeah. these, these things are cool. I mean, so yeah, first thing, just lay on the ground. See what's up. I would check your rotation, like you were saying. Go into the mirror. I mean, these are all great things you could do now. And then we can hopefully prevent, because like he was saying, the majority of these things are just the way we move in our daily lives, it's not like it's abnormal. It's not like, well, it's abnormal, but it's happening in our daily lives. It's how we move. So we've adapted to these, these movements that really truly are not natural. And that's our bodies adapting to it. So like he was saying, change, we can find and we change the way we're moving. And then our bodies will realign themselves. But of course, if it gets to the point, yeah, we have these exercises that I'm going to start and I'm going to start using for my for for myself, because I want, I want my hips to move equally. (laughs) I want my true, I want my, hip joint to move equally and I know there's one that's not so I'm going to be involving these a lot more often so I can so I can get that motion back on both sides incredible tons of information in this one thanks so much for coming on I mean this was just jam-packed uh, I mean full of information and and he's talking about all three so we're talking about rotation superior to posterior I mean we're talking about a lot of stuff here so you might wanna listen yeah. to this one, one more time. Again, um, he also gave some information about going on the, exor- the exercise in 1990. So don't forget that one too, because yeah. I think that's gonna help a lot yeah. of people too. Um, yeah. Again, it's thanks. 1990s,
1: essentially the front legs in a 90 degree angle and the back legs in a 90 degree angle. Um, and then yeah, and there'll be a bunch of stuff that you can follow. But if anybody doesn't believe that they shouldn't be, that they, sh- that they can't move efficiently or that they're, they're specifically not built to move efficiently, Look at a child and way in which they move, especially way in which they squat down on the floor. And look at cultures like India, Japan, a lot of a lot of Asian countries who still deep squat. Right, they rest in these deep squat positions. So again, it's it's it, Most of most of our issues, ninety nine percent of our issues, are going to be habitual. They're going to be essentially modern day living, and that's the thing is that you are going to have to reduce quite a few of these things. But in the meantime, you can regain that then by adding in everything that I've spoken about today. But Yeah.
0: Oh, for sure. I think, yeah, I would agree with you 100%. The majority of these problems are modern day living, all these conveniences that we have around us and making life so so simple, but it's causing havoc on our joints, for sure. Cool. Well, thanks again for coming on. I mean, this was a great one. I really love this because like I said, the hips and the lower back is such a major problem in today's society because of the lack of motion. Yeah, these, these conveniences yeah. of of modern living. So thanks for coming on. Again, how can they get to how, where, where can they find you again, just to make sure we get them and they can find yeah. you and, and learn more about you?
1: Yeah, so Instagram and Facebook, you can find me at Rewild with JC. So R-E-W-I-L-D and then with JC, J and C, my initials. Um, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram there, or you can go to www.rewildwithjc.com. Um, and as, uh, yeah, for anyone that's interested, you can book a free assessment. So it's very simple. And the reason being is that I don't work with anybody that I don't think I can help. Um, it's kind of a moral thing for me. Um, I want to work with individuals that I know I can help and that I, that I know need my help. Um, so again, anybody that's interested, they can book in for a free assessment in online or in person. Um, I've developed systems that allow me to do both. If I'm obviously working with someone, I get to put hands on them. If I'm not working with someone or like this via video, then I usually just use a lot of um, verbal cues and I get them to assess themselves. And again, it's very much the same because the treatment is very much the same. It just takes a little bit, a little bit longer for them to do it themselves because I'm not there working on.
0: Perfect. Well, you heard it. So go, go check out his website, get to know him on Instagram and, and let him know that you listened to this episode here on the wellness former podcast. Tag him and tag me and we'll, and we'll we'll stay in contact. All right, again, thanks a ton for coming on and we'll definitely have to bring you back on and continue these awesome conversations about joint mobility. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode with JC. I certainly did. I love talking with JC. Let's get this episode and share it. That's the best way to get the word out there because this is a grassroots movement. Sharing this is how we grow. And one other way that we grow is by leaving reviews on iTunes I'm trying to get to 50 I have a goal to get to 50 so if you haven't left one yet go and leave one that would be awesome another great way to help me out is if you haven't read my books yet the playing in the dirt or the four pillars of health you can get those on Amazon or my website if you're in the US and right now I have a membership where we go much more deeper in how we bring the garden and our connection to nature and earth into the forefront of our journey for greater health and well-being if you haven't joined yet, now is the opportunity. I'm going to have, again, 50 50 founding members where you get a super low price. If you want to join that, send me an email at benpagedc at gmail.com with the, the subject, Yes, I want to join the membership. It's that simple, and then we'll get in contact and we'll start working together. So let's get the word out there. Thanks for everything you're doing, and we'll talk to you soon.